Hello. Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious I'm about. Curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships can evolve with people evolve as they grow and change? And I think, we, again, we need to point this out. We need to kind of get away from a kind of like just generalization fighting for a particular thing, right? So people should get to be who they are. Well, that's true. But none of us, I mean, in one of my books, I can't remember which one, I, I say, in talking about puberty blockers, I'm like, if you, if you do this, or if you don't do this, you're not going to end up exactly with the body you want at the end of puberty, because none of us do. That's not how bodies work. Welcome to the Curious Fox podcast. For those challenging the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Nisla. And today, we're talking about how to support queer, trans, and non-binary young people. Raising children is not easy. Even the simplest things can feel complicated. For example, even though there's only one child in my house, somehow it takes twice as long to leave the house, there are double the amount of dishes in the sink, and there never seems to be enough food. So when it comes to truly complicated situations, it can leave a parent or caregiver feeling stuck. And there is not much more that's complicated than sexuality, religion, and politics. Understanding identity, sexual orientation, and gender is a complex journey for adults, let alone kids and teens. And in today's political climate, it's fraught with even more obstacles. Across the nation, we're seeing a troubling trend in the name of religion. Rights being stripped away from queer, trans, and non-binary individuals, heated debates over trans athletes and sports, a wave of book bans targeting queer-inclusive content, and a disturbing number of states pursuing legal action against parents who seek gender-affirming care for their children. To discuss how we create space for these conversations at home and support the young people in our lives who identify as queer, trans, or non-binary against this turbulent backdrop, we invited back... I'm Corey Silverberg. I'm an educator and an author. I make kids' books uh, about gender and sexuality that are also good for adults and families. Back in episode 136, Corey joined us to help us rethink how we have the sex talk with kids. Corey has a unique way of simplifying the way we talk about and to children without being reductive, which I love. I give a stack of books that are age-appropriate resources to talk about sex and relationships to my new parent friends to help them along in their parenting journey. Corey's books are very much in that pile. So it made sense that we had them back on the show to talk about this subject. Interestingly, as we were getting ready to record, I mentioned I was more likely to take a bit of a backseat in this conversation. Because, well, I'm not a parent. But Corey encouraged me to join in and explained how trusted adults are an important part of a child's life. So it's interesting. Like I think parents are encouraged to feel like they are the experts of their ch- on their children, and in fact, they do know more about their kids, their child, than other adults. But most parents only know the kids that they have at home, right? Most parents, and then like they'll go to a birthday party, they're around with their kids, but they're not usually paying attention in the way that like when I work with teachers or children's librarians, like they are with kids. Like a teacher is with teachers with my kid for six hours a day when they're fully awake and engaged in learning and thinking mm-hmm. 10 of the hours that I'm with my kid every day, they're sleeping. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, an, and you know, I guess it, like I'm aware that like, because parenting is so exhausting and so hard and in many ways, you know, so much of the time, not particularly rewarding because like our kids don't appreciate us as much, <laughs> as much as most of us probably deserve, which is fine. It's developmentally appropriate. But because of that, I think parents often will look for like, the real estate, right? It's like, what do I own? And mm-hmm. so then often say to people who are who don't have kids, like, you don't know. It's not true. So I, you know, one of my colleagues and closest friends, Bianca Loriano, is a trusted adult to many kids, including mine. And she knows stuff about kids. She notices stuff and she talks to me about I mean, I go to her for advice all the time, in part also because she's coming from a different perspective, right? She's not, I mean, she's exhausted with life, but she's not exhausted with having a kid. So this idea that only people that have kids should be speaking about and speaking for or with or in support of kids 
it doesn't make sense because that's the other thing is like safety. If we're moving to safety, right? This is the call. It's like, we got to keep kids safe. Well, safety is a community responsibility, right? We cannot do it ourselves. And so the idea that we're going to just cut out all these adults and say, you have no say or no right or nothing useful to say, it's, it's counterproductive. What you're saying resonates so much. And the, I think, the, you know, one thing I would add is you're so right. You only know your kid as a, as a parent. You also only have one childhood of your own. You influence your own childhood. And I think the other adults, like trusted adults, have their own childhood experiences, which gives them another perspective, which I think is important, especially those ones that are trusted, that have done some work and, and looked at things. Because they also get that other perspective, which is something that I say to people all the time. I don't have a kid, but every day I sit in front of people who tell me about their childhood and their mm-hmm. current relationship mm-hmm. experiences. And I see correlations all day long. Yeah. So that's like, I speak to the adults of well, who were once children and we, because we have to, because we talk about relationships. We start with the original relationship, which is the primary caregiver. And I have that perspective, which I think is, is, is important and interesting as well. So yeah, it makes sense. To your point, Corey, I feel like I don't get to spend enough quality time with my daughter and there is so much that I want to share with her and do with her before she grows up, particularly as I continue to try to figure myself out and evolve. And so how do we do that? How can we as parents and caregivers create open environments that feel safe and comfortable for kids and teens to explore their evolving identities? Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is we can never, we can't ever do it in isolation because it's like, how do we do that? Well, we do it for ourselves. <laughs> like, so mm-hmm. If you're in a home where there isn't a lot of room for that, right? So if you're in a relationship and maybe you're both, I mean, like through and in this pandemic, many of our relationships have kind of calcified to survive. And so they're not, maybe you're going through a year or six months where like, there's not a lot of like joy or room for growth. It's like, let's just can we just get through this year or this family, whatever it is, like tragedy or drama or, or triumph, whatever, whatever it is. So when that's what the house feels like, kids pick it up, right? And it's like, it's like not the time to add something new. And so it's not that they're not doing it, right? So it's not that a tween is not noticing another kid in class who's maybe now come out as non-binary or trans and like wondering like, what is that about? Maybe they're feeling something that's like, oh, is there something in there that I'm attracted to either in a crush way, but also maybe like, Oh, I think maybe that's me a little bit. Maybe I'm seeing, I'm seeing someone put themselves together in a way that seems feels recognizable. Our kids are doing that. It's whether they're going to talk to us about it and they're going to bring it home. Mm-hmm. So part of it is like, where is their room? You know, how do we do this as parents? Well, thinking about like, where's their room during the week where we're just talking about stuff, where we're talking about how we change. And also, you know, and speaks to kind of the stuff that Effie was talking about, about like, primary relationships is like, what is our orientation to change, right? So when it comes to gender and sexuality, most of us are raised to be told that like, this is a thing you figure out when you're a teenager, and then you've got to figure it out, right? You're a boy or a girl, you're a man or a woman, maybe now you're trans, but then that's who you are, right? And in the language that has come up in ways that like need to be unpacked, often kind of supports that in terms of language, like I'm you know, living my true self, I'm fi- I found my true self, right? So young kids, trans kids, we're, we're coming away from it for, but for probably about a decade, that was the language they were really encouraged to use is like, be your true self. I've never liked that language because it's just never resonated for me. Like I'm 53 years old. I have no idea who my true self is. And so that can feel like a failure, right? Like, especially when you like, I mean, I would go to these conferences and I would see a 10 year old stand up in front of 300 adults and say some other gender and say, I'm living my, I'm, I'm experiencing my true self and everybody would clap and be great. And honestly, I would feel like crap, <laughs> which is, I mean, I would feel nice for the kid and I, I appreciate that, but it would also kind of hit me in a certain way because like, wait, so what am I doing? And I think that that language is a bit of a, it works for some people. I, I wouldn't, I'm not into policing language. So for people who like that language, that's good, but it can be a bit of a trap because what happens when, you know, you change, which we all do, right? So that's the other thing. It's like, what can parents do? Talk about, we can talk about how we have changed and whether that's the way we change when we lose a parent or we switch a job or we're going through menopause or whatever it is, like actually talking about it, right? And noting, sometimes it's just little things. Like, like, I mean, I know I'm aware that I do this with my kid all the time. I'll talk about if I'm too tired to do something, I'll point out why, right? It's like, because my body, you know, my body can't do that today, or because I'm thinking about my mom, right? And to me, that's like building something for them to see about, all right, 
we are always impacted by our whole lives and that's okay. So I think, I mean, again, I think it's like, it's doing all that stuff. None of which actually has to do with like, let's sit down and have a conversation about gender identity. Right. Because, you know, this is other strange thing where we kind of privilege because of the way that kind of gay activism sort of developed. And now some, I don't know if it would be queer activism exactly, but like we privilege some of these things. Like now we're told make space for gender identity conversations where we're still not told to make space for conversations about race or class or other things. Right. So, you know, the thing that I immediately came up for me is beyond the gender, what you're talking about getting people, getting young people to be mindful of change within themselves is it's like a, on the big picture, you're essentially teaching them to be mindful and connected, connected themselves. I think if you get them to a place where you're like, this is your final identity, I think potentially you're promoting this idea that you now you stop the self-inquiry mm-hmm. now you stop curiosity you're done now now talk about something else and like go point your curiosity somebody somewhere else whereas we know that one of the the major indicators for for like feeling well is that maintaining that connect building and maintaining and nurturing that that connection with the self what you said was, was really resonated with me it's like let's just keep encouraging kids to to do self-inquiry to you know be curious about themselves and allow for growth and change and evolution rather than like the end you know the end result right and we do it by doing it ourselves right by by doing it in front of them right let let them see it and this is i mean you know we were talking about this before but one of the things about poly families not always but a lot of times is their kids are going to see a lot more processing I mean, it's, it's a general positive, I would say, it's, mm-hmm. uh, that it's always fun. But I mean, again, if it's well-meaning adults who are trying to care for each other, to watch them do that is very useful. And, and I think it's changing a little bit, but still, I mean, in my experience, when I talk to families, like adults, couples, there's still a lot of sense of like, this is something we should do behind closed doors. This is something we should do when our kid isn't around. And of course, that's true for some conversations, but there's a lot of conversations that I think kids would benefit from seeing, including some conflict, right? Yeah, what I hear you all talking about is naming our evolution, both what has happened and what is happening, and then showing up for the evolution of those in our lives and kind of and and putting that more on display and showing from everything from they used to have this job and they realized, you know, my partner doesn't want to do that career anymore. They want to do this other thing. So we're going to make room for that and Mm -hmm. we're going to pitch in and they're going to take space. But it feels like just creating space where change can happen Mm -hmm. because you're you're a hundred percent and right in that I think about my own life, you know, through my 30s, I was like, this is who I am. And I built a life around that firm identity. Mm-hmm. And then when that shifted for me, there was then fear of now I have to dismantle this thing that I created because it was based <laughs> on this very specific way of being in the world mm-hmm. to then create this. Well, now I'm this other thing. And I built a life then around that. And now finally realizing it's going to keep changing. So I need to build a life that's change ready, right. a life that can evolve with me as opposed to. So I, I love the idea of, to your point, Corey, not let's not sit down and talk about gender. Let's create a life where we are thoughtful and curious about who we are mm-hmm. and we are supportive to the evolution of and, and the truth of those around us. Yeah. And I think I want to add another piece to it, which is that we're also showing his like what you just described about, you know, the, the, the partner who wants a different job. And then you're saying, okay, well, together we're going to make room for this. One of the great things is it's teaching kids that they have, that they deserve that, right? That in fact, when they want to change something, they can ask. Right? Because again, I think parents, because we're asked so much of often, we can get into a habit of thinking, well, our kids are just very demanding and that they will demand whatever they want. And that is not true. Right? If there's something our kids want and they already have had a sense either from school or the world or home that it is not like, let's say they want to explore a different gender identity or something, and that that is not going to be desired, then they won't ask for it. And they'll feel like they don't deserve it. Right. And certainly a lot of my other friends who are also disabled will talk about this people who were disabled when they were kids about feeling and, and queer, feeling very clear that they had this sort of subtle message from their parents that being disabled was a lot. And their parents were already doing all of this advocacy. So no more. Right. So, so one of my closest friends who's queer, you know, she was, she absolutely like put off talking to her parents about it because she was like, they have all this stuff on their plate. So, so I love Jacqueline, what you're saying, you know, just do, doing this out loud in front of our kids and expecting that we'll support each other encourages them to say, I need this support. Yeah. 
the way that kids connect the dots in ways that we don't see. So I, I've shared with Effie many a time where I have done what I thought was a beautiful parenting job of teaching this thing. Mm-hmm. And then, and that seemed to work out well, but then my daughter internally connected the dot to this other thing that was an unintended consequence. And I was like, no, 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 not that thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, for example, I think about my daughter's a dancer. And being a parent of a dancer is very expensive. Like being the parent of a child who's involved in any sport or any, there are uniforms and costumes Mm -hmm. and games and travel and all those types of things. And so in the beginning, we're like, do you really want to do this? Are you committing to it? Because that's it then. You can't now a few weeks later after we bought the point shoes and the retitle outfit and all the things then decide you're not going to do this thing. And as you're saying, I can imagine if we're saying, you need to decide and commit because that's it. How a dot could be connected then to say, oh, there is not room then for my evolution. But also as a parent, I can't say decide on what you want to do as an after school activity every week and we're going to keep changing. Right. So it's just complicated. Yeah, no, no. But I love that example because this, but I, I feel like because we can just tell our kid, we can, we can, you know, invite them to hold these things. And I do this all the time by saying like, you don't have total control of your body, right? Like you are going to get the shots I want you to get. If you break your leg, you are going to get that leg fixed, whether you want, you want someone to touch it or not. And, and I do the same thing. And it is, I feel like it, it definitely is a challenge for me around that stuff because you do want to, resp- you want to, you know, give your kid as much access to their body autonomy as possible and make room for them to change. And also, as you're saying, absolutely. So with my kid, it's sewing right now. And it's like, yes, you can do this thing, but that class was very expensive. So exactly. you are now doing it for four months. Exactly. Um, and, and I mean, I have to say so far it's worked out, but you're absolutely, but, but I think that, I think that as they get older, we're going to have to do that. It's, I don't know if it's an unlearning thing, but it's just like, so that was that. And then being in a relationship is a different thing. Just because yes. you said you want to be someone's, you know, partner, it doesn't mean you actually have to, you can, you can leave that anytime, anytime you want. And I mean, with consequence, but it's not about, I mean, you know, even, even that, you see, I said that and I'm like, well, actually you want to stick with relationships, but if it's a bad relationship and that's been assessed, then no, you don't want to feel like uh, I got to just stay in it. So it it is, it's so complicated, but I think what make I mean, we should name it's complicated because of like whatever, cishet normativity. I mean, it's, it's complicated because of the structures of this world. It's not complicated because, because of our hearts. It's just that the ways that we talk about control and the ways that we control each other mean that this stuff doesn't make sense. And and this is certainly like a lot of kids that I know who are neurodiverse are really clear about the fact that when it comes to gender, like they don't understand gender and they're like, it does not make any sense. And they're right, right? If you were to write out in any particular culture, all the rules about gender, it's not logical, but it is what it is. So yeah, so I, I love that dance example. Everything that I've heard so far just like resonates with me on a level that I haven't actually heard before. This idea of like, let's give kids the space and the support and the nurturing to embrace change to, to um, both as a role model and also, this, you know, that, that they're deserving and they get to have those changes while being mindful of that some of the stuff is like investment and they need to be a bit more committed. I get all of that. And it makes sense. This is actually a really fresh way of looking at this. The question I'm asking is how to handle it when this change is then tied to some more permanent decisions, right? So medical procedures, things that are like, you kind of like, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of getting a tattoo, right? Yes, you can get it removed, but it's like, a, it's like, but once you get that tattoo, it, uh, it's, yeah. it, it's kind of there. Even yeah. if you can get it removed, it is still kind of that. Like it's something that you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life. Right, right. So like, h- how do we then balance this idea of like, let's just be open to change and fluidity and self-inquiry and like all of that while also honoring some of these decisions and desires that are more, more on the permanent side? Mm. <laughs> yeah. how, do we, how do we balance that? So that's, I mean, I think that it's an opportunity to teach about boundaries and power because because there are there's we have boundaries and also there's there's a power difference between me and my kid right so they can't get a tattoo until they're i think it's 18 that's a law it's, i think i think it's probably a law here it's, it's one that i would say i support uh, and i would tell my kid that and i would say because it is you know because some decisions are have, have bigger repercussions right so can they balance on a chair while holding a ball well if the chair's low and I think if they fall, they're not going to break something, then sure, why not? But if the chair is on top of a rock <laughs> that's in the middle of a concrete 
parking lot? No, because the 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 outcome is is potentially negative enough. So part of it is just help. And this is helping kids learn how to make decisions, right? So you know, some decisions are um, come with lighter consequences. I mean, I like glad that you're asking this because if I'm going to bring it to kind of a gender thing, so if we're thinking about something like the difference between socially transitioning, so the difference, so so asking like I, you know, in fact, I don't like this name and I don't like this pronoun and I want to be called by this and this. That is a request and a change that comes with no negative consequences. Grandparents might be confused. A teacher might not respect you. I mean, the consequence may be that you start seeing people who are not going to respect you. But there's no psychological developmental harm from that. And there's also, it's also completely reversible in, a, in an instant. More or less the same is true for puberty blockers, right? So if, if a child is, is feeling the sex they were assigned at birth and the gender they've been sort of, that's been foisted on them isn't, isn't the right fit, and they're going through puberty and they're like, mm, I'm not sure, and they get some gender affirming support. And that is the thing is they're offered puberty blockers, which is a, a hormone that kind of just basically pauses puberty. And we and it's been around; it's a drug that's been around for a long time. We know it's well tolerated. We know it's very safe. And when you go off it, puberty begin puberty continues. So it's with there's very few negative side effects. That again is a to me is a decision that I would really be supporting young people to be able to make in consultation with their family members. To do something like start taking like it used to be called cross-sex hormones, now gender-affirming hormones, where an impact may be that you can't have your, your sterile or whatever the different words that we use for it, but basically you may not be able, you may not have viable sperm or viable eggs anymore. That's just a decision that has a bigger consequence. It doesn't mean people shouldn't be able to make that decision for themselves, and I'm not. It's not my place to say it. this is the right age where people can do that, but people have to know, right? So I don't think I, th- I think sometimes. People who are scared about this, so people who don't have a lot of queer people in their lives, and this is all brand new, and they can get scared of this. I think sometimes they look at the rhetoric in the in the media, and they think like, "What's being asked for is just to let kids do whatever they want." And again, I don't know what "kid" means, but if "kid" means tween, that is not what I or really any mental health professional that I know is advocating for. No one is advocating for that. This stuff should always be done in consultation. Different people have different ideas of what a kid is, right? So someone might say someone who's 18, a kid, and shouldn't have that choice over their body. So I think, I think you're right. And I think, we, again, we need to point this out. We need to kind of get away from a kind of like just generalization fighting for a particular thing, right? So people should get to be who they are. Well, that's true. But none of us, I mean, in one of my books, I can't remember which one, I, I say, in talking about puberty blockers, I'm like, if you do this, or if you don't do this, you're not going to end up exactly with the body you want at the end of puberty, because none of us do. That's not how bodies work. So I think that, again, we can also equalize this a little bit by, you know, I, I mean, I love the tattoo example, right? So if if someone was talking to a kid, a young person who was asking about something like gender affirming care, I mean, I'm often, I'm a fan of bringing in things that actually relate maybe to you, if you as a parent, that's not something that's part of your experience, but you weren't allowed to get a tattoo. And, and then at some point you were, right? So yeah, I think that, I mean, I've, yeah, I'm just an advocate for being explicit about it. And also just, and then being willing to hold the disappointment and the anger, right? Like, like my kid is angry all the time because of the things they're not allowed to do. And I try really hard just to, just to say, yeah, rather than, because of course, again, to be honest, like as a parent, I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you know how much, how hard I work to give you as much body autonomy as you have? But that's not, that's not, I'll do that with friends and my partners and not, not with my kid. I'm nodding furiously. Okay. Yes. <laughs> just in terms of just those last pieces also. Yeah. Instead of right. Everything my daughter says, is, it's not fair. It's not right. fair that you right. don't let me do this. It's not fair. And I'm like, you have no idea <laughs> what I, what your life looks like compared to what I got to experience as a child. I think that my answer is, is similar and nuanced in, in a different way, I think. Let me start with the basis from which I, I look at how to work with young people in, in terms of who they are and identifying is just to listen and trust people. And that's just like my ground basis of when someone says something, trust that what they are saying to you is true. Now, there's a lot of things that can go along with that. But I think that it's a very slippery slope when we say, well, I don't believe you because of your age, because of your gender, because mm-hmm. of your this, because of your that. And so I want to start from that place of trusting. 
and listen to what a young person is saying and then recognize that change is not quick, right? So it's not mm-hmm. like, let's say my daughter came to me and said, you know what, I have really realized that I don't think that that my, my gender identity matches my body and I want to go through a transitioning process. It doesn't mean then tomorrow now she gets surgery mm-hmm. and decides... Change is not quick. You you shared earlier on, Corey, about a conversation that you were having or, or that a colleague was having with someone, a parent who was worried about banned books. And they were mm-hmm. saying, well, then naked people are going to be in our classroom. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of things that happen in between <laughs> reading a book and a naked person running around in the classroom, right? Because yeah. there are things that happen in between. And similarly, I think that's the case. A young person saying, I don't know if the way in which society prescribes how I'm supposed to be is actually how I feel. A lot of things happen in between that and now I have top surgery or now I have puberty right. blockers or now I have... So I think that's another thing to note is, is conversation and dialogue and exploration doesn't mean that a thing has happened, right? There's a lot of steps. The other thing I would say is there are built-in mechanisms and check-ins around this, to your point around engaging experts, there are mental health experts, there are medical experts, there are youth development experts, there are a lot of people that have to be engaged in a process before a young person is medically allowed to be given any kind of, uh, of, of affirming treatment. And puberty blockers is a great example of that. When I was younger, I went to an epidemiologist and we were talking about puberty blockers because I was so short. I still am mm-hmm. short. Mm-hmm. But there was a conversation around, are, is there something that they should do before I, to, so that we can give myself more time to grow? Now, that's a conversation that's been having, particularly with, with cis boys, for many, many years, mm-hmm, cis mm-hmm. boys who are too young in puberty, they're having conversations with with their medical professionals around what should we block and what should we keep going to give this person more time to grow, mm-hmm. which is completely an aesthetic thing. There right. is no no benefit to that boy, that cis boy being taller. Yep. So again, we're talking to your point, we're talking about puberty blockers as being this tool now wielded by folks who want to make everyone trans. Right. <laughs> And it has existed in the cis world for decades. So it has nothing actually to do with that. So I think that would be my answer. I think that's a long answer to say that in helping to hold that I want to trust that a young person is telling me the truth about who they believe that they are and that that truth may evolve as -hmm. they grow. It's that I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to recognize change is not quick. Mm -hmm. I'm going to involve all of the mechanisms and check-ins and experts along the way and let that process evolve slowly. And I'm going to try to take as many steps that don't have the long-term consequence as long as possible until we realize that this is actually the thing that needs to happen next. I think that would be my, my personal approach with my child. And I think the last thing I'll say is that, and this is so hard for me to do, but and when our kids say it's not fair to just say, you're right. Yeah. Right. Because there's a lot of people I know who think that parents shouldn't be, that they think that there shouldn't be gatekeepers, basically. For something that is not, that has no documented medical harm, a young person should be able to make that choice themselves. And so rather than saying no, which is, which is felt by a young person as like a control thing, you can say, I see, I get it. I get that that's how you feel. And I feel differently, right? Which is also okay to say. I think one thing I want to add to this is recognizing that there's a spectrum of identity. I think sometimes when we're talking about these things, we're saying we're like, it's black and white. You're Mm -hmm. either cis or you're trans or you're non-binary, like Mm -hmm. pick a lane Mm -hmm. now. And and that's the thing that you're going to be. And not every, let's even take within the case of cis, not every cisgendered person is going to fit into the stereotype of that gender. So my partner identifies as a, as a cis female and she only wears boy clothes. And I'm putting mm-hmm. that in quotes, right? She mm-hmm. shops in the male section and only wears. And so presentation wise, if you, she gets misgendered all the time, but right. she identifies as a cis woman. Yeah. And so there doesn't have to be a, now I'm going to be this other thing, or I'm going to be this, other, like there's room within the categories that we are to express ourselves differently. And so there's a lot of like room to play, I think, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean that, that word literally and figuratively, but there is room to play in gender and to play with nail polish and to pay out, play with clothes and to play with haircuts to like see what fits. I have changed the color of my hair probably 10 times over the last three years as mm-hmm. I try to navigate my own like aging process and all of these things. Like, I think we need to make room to let our kids and let ourselves play as appropriately as possible with those things. 
I think there's also work to be done around this idea of gender expression and gender roles and societal. I think it's like a societal um, dynamics of what we think of these these gender roles. And I like I think there is this like gray area also where because we don't have I mean it's getting much better, but because we don't have so much variety in the way that we represent women, right? Especially, especially women. Then I think sometimes if a, if a child who was born, born as a, as a female doesn't see themselves represented in any of the women they see, mm-hmm. then they can be like, well, I don't fit into this gender. It's not necessarily through gender dysphoria. It's literally no representation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, I think I talked to, to Jackie about this, like one of my favorite shows that I've ever seen on, on this is for kids is um, Avatar with the the, mm-hmm. the the second one with um, Legend of Korra. Yeah, yeah and Le- <laughs> Legend of Korra is is probably the most varied female representation mm-hmm. I have ever like seen in any show ever. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the seasons, you see girls and like female representation so many so many different ways. And you're like, yes, like this should be the standard. Mm-hmm. And in all of those characters. You'd like to find someone like you and and not necessarily get into a, a much deeper questioning about your gender identity and, and sort of inner workings if you can just see yourself represented in some way. I love that show. I have a dog named Zuko. Oh. <laughs> which, is, which is from the first one. Actually, yeah. he, he came with the name Zuko. And of oh. course, because of Avatar, we loved it. So we just kept it. Yeah. No, it's my, like, I, I, I preach that show to everybody who listens to me. Jackie, have, Jackie, have you seen the show? I have not. I've been <gasps> telling me for years. You should watch it. It's, and it's really good for families too. Like it's really, it's uh, kind of, yeah. it's a crowd pleaser. It's really yeah. good. Both, both, both Avatar and Legend of Korra. Yeah. Now we need to watch it. <laughs> but I love what you're saying though. And I love that someone could, again, let's use the example of my partner or, you know, a character, one of these characters that they can present as someone who might, we might identify as non-binary and they can say, actually, no, but I am cis female or I am cis male or somebody who is dressing in a way that is something they're like, well, but I'm not, I'm non-binary. And this is what I'm wearing today. That for us to be able to understand the world, we have to categorize things. That's the way our way our, our brains work is we need to make sense of things. And so I understand why it feels complicated and challenging for people and pronouns and things to continue to evolve and change around us. And we are evolving and changing anyway. Mm -hmm. All of these things about us are evolving and changing. And so this is just a different way in which is that that is happening. And so I would just want to say, yes, it is complicated. And can we challenge why we are resistant to that aspect of complication? I also think that, I mean, kids are changing this, right? So the, like, I think like there's a lot of teenagers who are absolutely saying, no, I'm not going to be identity-based, right? I'm not interested in any of these labels. And, you know, and I think they're just noticing that there's a problem with this, right? So the problem, problem is that these identities, these are identities are words that we use to describe ourselves. They never contain all of who we are, but we teach them as if they're natural categories, right? So that's the first problem is that we're, t- we don't, we don't, we don't say that like gay is a word that people use when they like to have sex and make relationships with people who are the same gender as them. We don't say that. We say gay means having, you know, like, you know, being sexually attracted to and wanting to make family with people the same gender. Those are different. We teach it as if it's in a natural category. The other thing is that then all the activism happens around it, right? So I find this frustrating, which is that like, if you want support as a kid, where you go, you know, there's, there's a trans youth line. There's an, it can be LGBT sometimes. There's usually there's a gay youth line. There's the Christian thing. There's the Jewish thing. There's like, there's all you have mostly, if you want support, you need to identify who you are in order to access that support. Right. Unless, I mean, if you go into an individual psychologist or psychiatrist, but even then, you know, they're either going to, they're going to do their diagnostic thing to put you in a category. And these categories can be useful. Like, I mean, I'm not, against identity. I mean, I, I find the word queer so wonderful and helpful for me. It makes my life better. And also, of course, sometimes it gets in the way, right? Because some people who, and I'm like less interested in like someone thinks I'm queer and they're kind of phobic or they, they don't like people who are queer. So that's actually a good thing because it's weeding them out. But there's lots of people who think like, oh, queer is something cool or queer is something different. And that's probably not me. And th- there might be someone I really want to connect with. Right. So sometimes these um, the labels absolutely get in the way. And I see teenagers, a lot of teenagers being like, kind of F this, like I'm not. And so they literally will change, like they'll go from pan to queer to trans to non-binary to this, like, like from week to week. 
And I think it's not that they're not making up their minds. I think that it's just that this is, this is one way of pushing back against those identities and just saying like, why can't I just figure this out? Right. Why do I need to stick? Why, why, why do I need to choose a group? I'm seeing a change at the kind of really high school level, a little bit middle school, elementary, not at all. Right. Elementary. I still find it so gender binary and kids are still like, boys play soccer and girls do other things, do gymnastics at recess. And of course, what, I mean, what's nice is that most kids are noticing that not all the people who play soccer are boys and not all the people who do gymnastics are girls. So there's a little bit of blending, but there's still such a, such a binary, such a push to the binary. I find that so fascinating because I went to an all girls boarding school. Okay. So, and um, it was in North of England and it was a, a very good school where we had a very, very fortunate and very grateful to my parents you know, it's a big investment in, in, on their part. And we had, we could do anything. Mm-hmm. We got taught needlework next to woodwork next to like, we had physics labs that you could like immerse yourself in, in the sciences. We had a music house where you can immerse yourself in, in, in music and all the instruments that you wanted. We, you know, you want to be an athlete. We had tracks and courts and, you know, anything that you'd want at no point they told because they couldn't try right? there's no there was no messaging like girls do this boys do this mm, right because, because there were no boys right, right. <laughs> right so you kind of just like you do what you want to do and you're you know you're in a boarding school so so they just educated you to keep you occupied and if you showed interest in, in anything they were like sure we had design studios where we learned circuitry and we we're welding things and so there was none of this the messaging and and at the time i really didn't think about that because i was just in it and then now I look back, I'm like, oh, like I'm missing a bunch of messaging. Like I don't have code for this. Like mm-hmm. no one told me that I'm supposed to like not change my own tire. You know, right. like no one told me like, you know, don't kick a ball. You know, we we're playing like rough sports. Like we we're playing lacrosse. Like I was playing lacrosse at school. And now I'm like, oh, that's what boys do. I'm like, Mm-mm, you haven't seen me tackle someone. <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the messaging is, it, so that just tells me, I think it really isn't the messaging because I've lived the other side when there were no boys. Boys, mm-hmm. And they said, do what you want. And we all did. And none of us questioned it. Right. None of us was like, oh, I don't want to weld because I'm a girl. like, right. there was, there was none of that, you know? Um, and I think you're right. It's like so deeply in the messaging. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and if you spend time with kids, it's so obvious right? that like kids will follow their interests and curiosities and some things might be, you know, and, and all of us in some ways fit certain stereotypes. And then in other ways we don't. It's so interesting. I mean, I would like hearing that story because of course people have all sorts of feelings about gender segregated schools. And, and yet here, I mean, this is an example of this really kind of gift you got um, for these years. Yeah. I mean, that's the, 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 it took me a while to figure this out. And the more I'm immersed in this work, the more I'm like, I don't know, would I send my kid to an, you know, a, a single gender school? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And all girls where you don't get that. I, I really hold that. Pre- like I, I really hold that. That is, is a gift and is a really mm-hmm. precious gift. Like I just did not get that, that messaging. It's not in there. And I do, I think that's a, a huge benefit, but I don't, I don't know. That's a big question. Should they exist? Would you say, and I think statistics say that uh, girls who go to an all girls school do better. Boys who go to mixed schools do better. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the statistics for it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the statistics say the same about team building, that the best teams involve women. Corey, I have a question for you about how to navigate conflicting messages. One thing that I'm really trying to figure out is how do I role model and explain things like patriarchy and capitalism and white supremacy when it feels like such a complicated topic for myself? Mm-hmm. So how do I say to her, you don't need to wear makeup you don't need to dress in a certain way. Like you are gorgeous the way you are whilst putting on my mascara. Right. right? <laughs> like, how do I say to her, you know, you should, we shouldn't be buying new things and doing what after my Amazon package gets delivered. Right. So how am I engaged in a thing while also trying to share with her the complications and, and the, and the reason why we should challenge the status quo of that thing. I'm trying to figure that out as an adult. Mm-hmm. And so it's so difficult as a parent to try to share that and, and, and explain that messaging of the patriarchy is real and we should be resisting and we shouldn't be told what we should look like and what we should wear. But also I really like what I look like. I think right, when right. I have this on, but I think that's because <laughs> that's what I did. Like it just, it's so swirled around with yeah. each other. And so I think, you know, even saying this out loud, it goes back to me of, of there is no right answer. Like just let's keep mm-hmm. talking about it as people, as families and, and, being honest with each other about the ways in which we're trying to navigate this space called humanity. 
I mean, I feel like you just, I mean, the more real you can be with your kids, uh, the better, right? So, because like everything you're saying, I identify with. And so being able to sometimes be like pointing it out, right? Also, I, put on, I wear makeup all the time. Or also, I grew up being really taught to be really anxious about time, right? So being late is like the worst thing in the world. And now, being part of the disability community, I realize like crip time just moves at a different pace. And there's lots of reasons why we're late. And they aren't all about disrespect, right? Often they're about structural oppression. <laughs> and also being late for a family dinner but it's, it's not like being late when you're a surgeon and you're there just showing up for to operate on someone. Um, and those differences matter. And so I'm like, I'm really trying not to pass that down. But then of course, whenever my kid is like moving slowly and we have to go, I'm anxious and I'm getting so like, we have to go. So, and then I just try in the car to be like, that was ridiculous. Like, why am I doing that? And it's not, I mean, I don't think this is necessarily like, I mean, I'm not saying like that's good because I think that my kid is seeing a lot of, I don't know how they're taking in that it's not hypocrisy, but like that mixed message. But I think to me, the, the thing that I'm just trying to do as a parent, like with my generation, is just, is just being explicit about it. It's just pointing it out because I think a lot of that stuff just went unsaid when I was a kid. And then I thought that I was the one that didn't, I thought that what they were doing was always right. And I just didn't know what was going on. And to have my parents say like, oh, I don't, I don't really, I, I do stuff all the time that I'm not a hundred percent sure about. I know it would have been helpful to me in some way. Helpful. Yeah. I don't know. Complicated though. I mean, also just save money so your kid can go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. College fund, therapy right. fund. Right. <laughs> it needs to be, <laughs> yeah, for sure the money put aside. I think it's an interesting one to navigate, right? Because at some point, I think that infallible, the myth of infallibility of parents is also where trust comes from, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think, isn't there, especially at some point, you know, up to a point in, de- in development, like your parents being infallible and this like all-knowing figures also want maybe they're the people that keep you safe so you feel like safe and like you trust them that they're going to keep you Mm -hmm. safe and and they give you a full sense of safety that everything is going to be okay because you kind of see these like infallible adults around you that then so you can like oh i can like be more free and be more make more decisions and like play because they will make sure that i'm okay Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um how do you balance that with oh i'm just going to tell you like i'm you know, I'm just a human and you will fall and I might not catch you. So I should clarify, like, I mean, I think when I say stuff to my kid about that, it's not about, it's, it's not, it's not if anyone's having big, big feelings or anything about safety. Like I think, I mean, I think, yes, as a parent, I'm still projecting. I want my kid to know that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, I am in fact going to show up and be there to protect them. We know that that doesn't mean I can actually protect them from everything. They're at school. They they can, they can experience harm. Plus the world's on fire. So we're not actually safe. So when I'm, when I'm pointing out my fallibility, Mm it's, it's it's often more about psychological things. (laughs) Like the, I mean, like, like, like like the makeup stuff, right? It's more about like, I guess it's pointing out more when you're saying one thing and doing something different, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I don't know. I mean, Jackie, what do you think? Because like, I also like, yeah. I don't know about this fallibility. Like, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? My thought is, if we could be as clear about what our values are and root behaviors in our values and, and have explanation in our values, then I think that that can leave room for some of these nuances you're describing. So I'm going to give you a few different examples. So for example, paying attention to my daughter or paying attention to each other and showing each other respect by really listening and caring for each other is important. So if I'm at the dinner table and she's telling me a story and I'm looking at something on my phone, she has every right and all the permission to call me on it mm-hmm. and be like, you're not paying attention to me right now. That's that's kind of rude. And you're like, I'm totally right. Let me put that away. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're traveling and getting on the train and going somewhere and she's trying to tell me a story and I'm trying to make sure we're catching the right train and moving the right thing, I'm te- I tell her in that moment, mm-hmm. my priority right now is safety. So I may be rude and may be ignoring you and may not be paying attention because that's actually not the priority in this moment. Right, that's right. not the value right now. The thing that I'm prioritizing right now is making sure that you're safe. So that's going to trump all other things. Mm-hmm. And so I think things like that, like like being able to say there are things that are important at the end of the day. So being on time and respecting people is important. So there are going to be times where I'm going to say, that's the most important thing. You need to hurry up. Let's go. Let's mm-hmm. go. And then there are other days where I'm like, you know what? The most important thing is for us to have a good time and be connected. If we're mm-hmm. late, we're late. If we get there, you know, and it's not there, then it's not there. But being able to name, for me at least, these are the values that we have. 
And for this particular activity, this is the value we're prioritizing. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. some of the other ones are going to be deprioritized as a result uh, has allowed for me to be able to play with some of that and not be called out. You know, you're being rude on the train by not paying attention to me. I'm like, I'm just making sure we're going to be alive. Right. That's the thing that's happening right now. <laughs> that's how I would answer that. Yeah, I like that. That's that's helpful. I <laughs> should try that. I mean, I did also want to ask, like, I, and I don't have an answer to it, but I, I do also wonder for kids growing up now. Is I, I think I, I sort of feel like the idea of safety is changing because they are hearing all the time that the planet is on fire. Right? They're not only hearing that, but they're also hearing that humans are the reason. Right? So even like I, we were, I was watching even like Disney movies. Like Disney produced this documentary about a puffer fish. So it's like a nature documentary. Mm -hmm. And the bad guy in the documentary is humans because like this pup, puffer fish is traveling around, then it gets to the coral reef and the coral reef is dead. And it says like, I know it's, it is, it's like, uh, if you're making a sad face and, and it's a, this dark, tragic moment because we're, you know, we've just been spent an hour being told to be invested in this puff, puffer fish. And then it says it's because of humans, right? So whereas before it was like the beast or whoever, I don't know, whoever the evil people are, like we're the evil people. And so I don't know. I mean, I mean, my experience is kids are, are a lot more anxious than they used to be. And certainly COVID has a big part of that. But we're living in this time of climate chaos, and I, I just don't know what it's doing to kids' sense mm -hmm. of safety. Yeah, we're going to find out. I, I think actually, going back to the gender identity conversation that we're having, I think when I hear you say that, it, it's also, we are trying to protect them from other humans. Like mm -hmm. being bi non-binary is mm -hmm. not a problem. <laughs> you know, being right. trans is not a problem. Right. You know, like being like none of these are problems it's other people who are the problems yes, and this yes. is what we're trying to do you know it's like the thing in itself is not the problem and i think i think you're right like the puffer fish same with the the kids who are trying to figure out their identity it's mm -hmm. the other humans that we're trying to protect them from and the systems that other humans have put together um which is sad can i ask a question you know we've been talking about parents and caregivers and and now we're talking about just general safety and i'm wondering if we can talk about the role that schools and communities play in young people's lives and what are things that educators and community leaders and you know other family members and neighbors like what are things that those folks can do to help ensure that queer and trans and non-binary youth feel seen they feel heard they feel validated in the spaces that they're in well, I mean, it's complicated because, you know, there's this sort of like rote answer, which is like, they can make sure they have the right posters and the right books like in the classroom or in a library, like make sure that there is queerness and that can be lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, pan, non-binary, whatever, whatever the term queer means to, but that kids are seeing representations of a diversity of gender expression, a diversity of expressions of love and identity and relationships. So that's one thing. And I think it matters. I maybe already quoted this because I do this all the time, but Bianca, my friend Bianca Loriano always talks about representation is powerful, but it isn't power. So it's not, it's not enough, it is, but it's important. So there's that. I mean, I think also if we want to make change, my question is like, where are the queer people in your life, right? And if you're not connected to queer people, get connected to some queer people, right? People don't like to be told who they should make, be made, make friends with. But I don't, know, I don't know that we actually get to real change if it's not in relationship, Right. So if we're not in some ways connected to queer people or to whatever, you know, so one thing is about like where, you know, if I'm inviting, if I have young people coming to the space, whether it's a classroom or a library or whatever it is, a doctor's office, how can I make sure that we're not just seeing representations of, you know, cis, heterosexual stuff? I mean, the other thing is to say stuff, right? I mean, I guess that's the thing is to start understanding that like that safety is a collective responsibility, right? So you know, sometimes teachers will notice some bullying behavior that's happening or it's just, just some crappy behavior that's happening around gender. So some kid is getting called a certain thing and they won't know how to respond. And so they don't, right? So then when go home and talk to someone about that and figure out a way to respond and next time respond, right? So we just, we all need to be talking about it. And that doesn't mean we're not going to solve it, but just to name it, right? Like that, I had a, a friend a long time ago who talked to me about how, She's someone who experienced a lot of uh, violence when she was a kid. And when she's in public, I, I, I used to work at a mall. And so I would just constantly see parents yanking their kids, parents doing stuff that I thought was absolutely physically not appropriate. They were, they were, they were hurting their kids. Sometimes they would hit their kids and sometimes they would just yank them too hard and they would yell at them in public, all this stuff. And of course you can't, 
I mean, I don't know what I was talking with her, but like, what, what do you do in those situations? And she said, what she does is she makes eye contact with the kid and, and then that's it. She makes eye contact. And like, if, if it works, if the kid makes eye contact with her, then she gives them a knowing look and that's it. And in her mind, that may be helpful to that kid, that, that the kid knows that they've just, what's happened was just witness, right? Because so much of the time around the gender stuff, and you know, I think even more so for kids, I don't know if it's fair to say that, but kids who are non-binary or who really just not, like they're somewhere in the middle, they're somewhere, they're just exploring. It's so easy to make that stuff invisible, right? And also to make that stuff, particularly like for tween, like to also make that stuff about puberty. It's like, oh, you know, you're having these feelings because you're just waiting to like, you're just waiting till you grow body hair, right? Or you're just waiting until you get breasts or, you know, like, like the, this sort of idea that like, normative puberty is going to solve your problems because because you're cis or whatever i don't like actually use the word cis but because this is you know you're gonna be fine once you get once you become normal right and it's so hard because if i mean kids want to feel safe and comfortable and accepted right and we're told that what that looks like is normal right so even a kid who's like this the shortest kid in the class they often want to be just like either they want to be really tall or they want to be average height and average normal right so it's hard it's hard because they have these internal feelings, right? It, is, it isn't just homophobia and transphobia. It's also this feeling of wanting to belong. And often all we offer them is, is normal. So I guess that's the other thing for me. It's easy as, an, as a queer adult, because when I talk about queer, I make it clear to young people. For me, that means that I'm not normal. It doesn't work for me. It's actually harmful for me to try to, when I used to pretend to be normal and I don't even like it anymore. So, so that's who I am. And then that, that can give some kids permission. What I'm hearing also is this idea of normalizing, but normalizing. So it's great if in Pride Month, we pull out all the books and all the colors and all the things, but that still is othering. That mm-hmm. still is like, that's the section where you can get the queer books right. or that's the place of... And if you just, if that book is amongst all the other books, if while I'm telling a story, there's a character who has they, them pronouns, and it's not actually a big deal. And right. you're just like, and they, this and that. And th- what I'm hearing is, as much as we can normalize, and I'm using air quotes, things that right now are not considered to be normal or part of the mm-hmm. status quo, that that might help young people not only feel seen, but feel seen and not othered. Yeah. I mean, I don't, now that I have a kid uh, who's also kind of non-binary, Pride Month makes very little sense to me. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, oh, this is the month where you get to be celebrated. Right. Mm-hmm. And I understand why we have it and it's important. And for a lot of people, it means a lot. But in our family, it's a bit complicated because I'm like, because I do sort of feel like, well, every month you should be, you should feel safe going to school. Every month you should go, you should show up. Like, so in schools in Toronto, often that month, almost all of them, particularly in our, in our part, fly pride flags for the whole month. And it's like, that's great. And I, and I don't, I don't actually think that that makes my kid feel safer, but for some kids it would. And then it stops, right? So it's like, this is the month where you get to walk up to school and feel like, oh, this is a place for me. And then the rest of the month's not so much. It's complicated, but. um, Yeah. I feel like in our conversations, which is right, we always end up with it's complicated. Right. Yes, we <laughs> that say there that is a lot. no right answer, that, there, <laughs> that it is complicated. I think one of the things that, that Effie and I were talking about in advance of, of this conversation is that there is not a way or an answer for a parent or caregiver to address things with their kids. That the goal is you have to be attuned mm-hmm. to the young people, to the kids in your lives. I think the other thing, like it's complicated is, is the one, one place we end up. And I think the other is like, you just got to get to know your kid, I think. Mm-hmm. So the culture that I grew up in, I, I jokingly say like, we were like houseplants. Like our parents <laughs> treated us like houseplants, just like make sure we don't die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, okay. like, you know, <laughs> but there wasn't this like, um, or, or like a, a, you know, a puppy, like we fed clean, got sunlight, <laughs> but until we went to school, it was, it was just about like keeping you alive. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, off you go to school and that's where you get, you know, where you sort of get everything else happens to you. This is that's just my generation and, and where I grew up. And I think the other version of that, which is to realize like you are bringing an individual, like a brand new human into the world and they come with some, they come with personality and character and their own version and to sort of start things off with trying to like get to know them and, and start that, put that achievement in place as, as early as you can and allow them the individuation process as early as you can. And while be protecting them and, and sort of be these gentle guardians and, and also realize like this is a separate human and to see what comes out of them. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, of course, trying to have a grasp on what they're influenced by as well and get them to 
be free thinkers and critical thinkers and researchers and curious people and all that kind of stuff and get to know them as an individual, uh, which I think sometimes I can see how it can be hard for sometimes for parents who are trying, most of the energy is going towards keeping this, this, this creature alive, who, mm-hmm. you know, and it can be hard. You're exhausted to then be like, let me just curious about my, about my kid can be hard, but I think that that's also another place that I feel like we end up in. Like it's complicated and you got to get to know your kid. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. And it's hard. <laughs> and it's hard. Yeah. One of the other takeaways from this conversation too is around like the myth of the gateway, you know, like, so like marijuana is a gateway drug. Like mm-hmm. you're going to smoke a joint and then you're going to, ins- you know, you're going to go after needles, right? right. <laughs> or you're going to like read a banned book and then you're going to wind up naked and running around mm-hmm. and like having right. orgies in elementary schools. Like that's not the thing that happens. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think this mentality of if we open the door to curiosity and dialogue just a little bit, that mm-hmm. door is going to be kicked down and all right. sorts sorts of things are going to fly through. (laughs) And what I think is probably more true, I think it's more true that repression will advance to rebellion more than curiosity will. Mm-hmm. I think the more that you push something down, the more likely it's going to push back with such force that mm-hmm, there'll mm-hmm. be a bigger rebellion than if you actually invite curiosity and kind of open the door to dialogue. That's going to be a much softer entry to whatever the thing is. And if mm-hmm. for, for folks who really believe that, that people are born a certain way or there's one way of being, then then I would also encourage you to think, well, then you can't be influenced by a book, right? <laughs> that right. If, if that's if that's who you are and, and, and that's the way that, that you were born to be, then, then this book is going to be a really interesting book about the way in pe- which people live Mm -hmm. like we read lots of books around about lots of different people and lots of things in the world it doesn't mean Mm -hmm. we turn into those things because we've read it and so i think that is one of the things that i'm hearing in this conversation and taking away myself too is just continuing to allow curiosity to create to continue to create space for for things and for dialogue and and not to have fear that that curiosity will lead to some huge catastrophe happening that more likely you repressing somebody mm-hmm. will will lead to something that's a bit more catastrophic or even more work like i think the other thing is even for mm-hmm. like well parents who aren't necessarily afraid of where it's going to lead they can just be exhausted, right? So like, oh, I don't have time to do that, right? And it's like, it's not being, opening up that curiosity is not necessarily going to make more work for you. Um, it's going to be the same amount of work, which is a lot, but. Yeah, it's all just a lot. It's just a lot. <laughs> After this, we'll set up a, a parent support group for right. those of us who are just, who are trying to be people while trying to raise people. But that would mostly just be we get together and nap, I think, is what that is. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, no, but it validate each other. Like that, that lunch that you packed was amazing. Right. That was fantastic. Mm. <laughs> that Saturday afternoon activity, how thoughtful. That was amazing. That's right. what I really, truly, this is a true story thought about that this morning that I need to create a chat group or something of parents that we just say, cause every day I, when my daughter comes home, I'm like, how's lunch? Now what I'm actually asking is, mm-hmm. can you say, wow, mom, thank you so much. <laughs> you cut up those carrots. So like yes. you really, yes. you packed, you were so thoughtful in the way in which now she'll never say that. She yeah. either says it was good. Or sometimes she'll say, I didn't like it. Those right. are the two answers that I'm going to get. Right. I want somewhere to be a space where I show a picture of this, of the lunch and people are like, that's incredible. What an amazing this parent is, you this are. This is not only a nice idea. This is probably a moneymaker. I have to tell you. I thought the same thing. I thought the exact same yeah. thing. All right. I'm going to, yes, I, there should be an app. There should be something. We're going to talk yeah, about this. Yeah. We just story. get, you just get positive feedback about these very specific things. I mean, I have, I mean, that's what, that's what we, we have friends for, but then you need to organize it sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do have a, I do have a friend who, Congratulates me at the end of any day where my kid is still alive. They're like, you did a good job. (laughs) So, so far every day. (laughs) You're winning. It's true. Kids birthdays. I I always feel that way. Parents and caregivers should get a present to be like, you did it. You made it through another year. Well done. If you want to learn more about Corey Silverberg, visit their website, CoreySilverberg.com. Or find them on Instagram at Twitter at Corey Silverberg. If you'd like to listen to more episodes about talking to kids about sex and sexuality, then check out the new episode drop email from Curious Fox in your inbox, where you'll find show notes and links to the things that we mentioned on the show, along with other episode suggestions that we think that you'll love. 
if you're not getting those, then you are missing out. So jump on our website, wearecuriousfoxes.com and sign up for the newsletter. And of course, while you're there, check out the blog posts and resources and reading lists and recommendations and so much more that is on our website at wearecuriousfoxes.com. If you want to weigh in on this topic or connect with other Foxy listeners, then head to Facebook and join our Facebook group at We Are Curious Foxes. If you find our episodes interesting or helpful, please share our podcast with a friend. Quickly rate the show with five stars, leave us a comment or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify or connect with the show in whatever favorite podcast app you use. This is going to take a few seconds of your time and it will have a big impact for us, particularly if you want to give us those five stars. If you want to support the show and get access to extended interviews, then join us on patreon.com slash we are curious foxes, where you can find mini episodes, podcast extras, and over 50 videos and educator led workshops. Go to Patreon and find us at we are curious foxes. And then finally, let us know that you're listening. Share a comment or story or question by emailing us or sending us a voice memo to listening at we are curious foxes.com. This episode is produced by Effie Blue and Jacqueline Misler, with help from Yamur Arkishi. Our editor is Nina Pollock, who supports us in our fully expressed identity without fail. Our intro music is composed by Dev Saha. We are so grateful for their work, and we're grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox Podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious.